So what I'm going to present is not a real paper. It's a, a plan, project, a skeleton of a future book. Some parts of this book uh, have been already written, some are not, but this is also the general plan. This is my first remark. So, I do believe that there are two different forms of care for the future. The first one is practical, very concrete, and it is uh, connected with various types of action and uh, practical anticipation forms and prognosis, scenarios, various forms of uh, achieving different goals, preventing risks and threats. And this is, of course, very noble variant of care for the future, very practical one, and I do respect it fully. But uh, let's say my personal investment is in the other abstract form, which is a care not for a specific goal, but a care for a specific horizon of expectations. That means to develop and support modalities of imagination, to secure the very imaginability of the future. Because other, you will see that I do believe that we have problems with the imaginability of the future. So uh, one should make differentiation between prognosis and all the variants of practical calculations, predictments, forecasts, prophecies, and so on, and expectation, which could, could be called the emotional and semantic tune of time, experience of the general temporal form, which is both semantic and emotional. Saying that, uh, in the focus of my presentation will be the hegemonic microframes of anonymous collective experience of time. They can be, of course, deconstructed by different opposing micro-perspectives, but nevertheless they are existing. And th these are um, the focus of my analysis. These are temporal patterns of certain collective human agencies. Uh, I mean, uh, the opposing agencies could be family, community, tribe, na uh, but uh, one can imagine that nation, Europe, or uh, the let's say sisterhood of all women, uh, the sister, the brotherhood of all colonial subjects, or the mankind it's, itself, all these. Uh, social collectives are living in time and they structure the time in a certain way and they uh, force the subjects the individuals to experience time in one way or another of course subjects and groups can resist, can deconstruct but nevertheless the hegemonic microframes of time are there and I'm following here a certain um, theoretical tradition starting from Ernst Cossier and a lot of others. Uh, and in this tradition, the models of this, the, this hegemonic microframes of collective experience on time are uh, described as uh, in various, in, in different cultures, as cyclic, as cathological, idyllic, utopian, progressive, as women time, as phobic, catastrophic, apocalyptic, as a time of growing acceleration, or time of the, uh, the risk society. So I'm not going into details here. There's a huge literature on that topic. What are my theoretical starting points? Uh, I uh, 
We used to work a lot on uh, Reinhard Kozalek and the collective experience of time in modernity. Here I will stress only three things, uh, four things actually. That the modern time is a linear vector time of secular universal history. That this time is connected with the opening of the future. The future is, uh, opens itself as a uh, chain of endless temporal horizons one after the other. That the future is experienced in positive emotional terms as young, bright, universal. And uh, there is a growing split between past experiences uh, that means, uh, uh, let's say, the baggage of the past and the positive experience of the past and the expectations of the future. This place is very characteristic for the modernity, as uh, Reinhard Kozelik used to say. One thing uh, Jean-Francois Lyotard added to this is the reversal of legitimation. That means that unlike uh, prehistoric mythologic societies, uh, or religious societies, which look for their legitimation in the past, as uh, Mircea Eliade used to say, in illo tempore, in the very first demiurgic moment of time. Modern time looks for its legitimation in the future, and this legitimation has the form of utopia, positive picture of the future. In the 50s and 60s, and especially in the 70s of the 20th century, uh, the theoretical community started to talk about the crisis of modern time. That something happened to this time described by Reinhard Kozelek. And uh, maybe the major point here is the distrust in the grand narratives and the eruption of plateral centrifugal small narratives uh, and the loss of the historical linearity. What was the reason of this distrust is another story. I'm not going into details here. At the same time, a huge uh, blow of the modern structure of time was the political legitimation of utopia after the end of the Cold War and the fall of Berlin Wall. Um, this was the end of the so-called great experiments with enormous uh, masses, millions of people. Uh, and Václav uh, Havel used to call this... Uh, special condition, loss of transcendence. Of course, he spoke about secular transcendence uh, in temporal terms. So, uh, I do believe, and I'm not going to um, give you evidence here, I just declare that I do believe that we are living today in a special closing of time. And uh, popular culture is the best example of this closure of time, because it is full with phobic visions. We are living in popular culture which reproduces catastrophic, uh, catastrophic and apocalyptic visions. And one more thing, part of my theoretical starting points, is a special article of Jean-François Lyotard, which I like very much, called Time Today, in English, uh, where Lyotard, to put it very shortly, cl um, claims that uh, the ultra-fast circulation of uh, capital is a form of neutralization of the unpredictability. So uh, commodity, uh, time and information are identified and this means uh, elimination of the future. In, pra in practice it means a new cyclic time of the circulation of capital and fixation in the present. Loss of past and future dimensions. Actually this is uh, 
supported by a French historian called François Hattoc, uh, who speaks about regimes of historicities and uh, who claims that today we are living in the condition of presentism, which means the dominance of presence over the past and the future in the historical experience of time. A follower of Reinhard Kuzel, a German follower called Hartmut Rosa, uh, published relatively recently in 2005 an important book called Beschleunigung, and there he claimed that uh, not only uh, we are living in uh, presentism, but we are living in ceaseless acceleration of time. And this special rhythm, this accelerated rhythm of time, is the most characteristic feature of today temporal patterns. So, uh, in, from my point of view, what we need today is to care for the imagination. Because uh, a lot of the theoreticians, especially in the area of art history and visual arts, are talking about uh, um, the fact that uh, something is happening with the very capacity of uh, imagining the future. Uh, and we are living in a neo-capitalism, neoliberal capitalism without alternatives, uh, which is not only a mode of production and consumption, but is more and more a mode of subjectivation. That means it controls uh, the tones and the dreams, sets limits and uh, image matrices to the fantasy. It imposed this presentism I spoke about and acceleration as self-evident, as the only realistic forms of thinking and experience of time. It optimizes time. That means it colonizes the fantasy with attractive and seductive images floating das Lebenwelt, the li uh, living world. Uh, how is it translated in English? Uh, this uh, Husserlian term. Uh, and all these uh, floating images are a product of the advertisement industry and the film industry. Uh, and it governs needs and desires according to the principle of marketing. So, uh, in fact, we are unable to experience an alternative, free and open, young future. Our imagination is blocked, so to say. This is a huge problem from my point of view. So, uh, the main question I'm trying to give certain, some answer, uh, can we free this uh, presentist imagination, which is blocked and so in a way paralyzed, by using some alternative resources and archives of the past? So, uh, I will use uh, the term archive more as metaphor, as uh, in the anthropological, uh, strict anthropological sense, because uh, I will tell you the story um, about the development of utopia, the utopian genre, and uh, from that point of view, maybe it's better to um, speak about corpus of text, uh, utopian canon, and uh, narration which is connected with this canon, not about archives. But nevertheless, I use this in order to be helpful for the, our workshop. So, uh, in, this was my introduction. So I start, uh, the, let's say, the, my, what is my real point. Uh, and I'll try to present you very shortly, with the help of images, uh, what is history of utopia and what is genealogy of utopias? You uh, can get, easily get here the Foucauldian basis of my thought. 
So the history of Utopia is uh, very well known, and uh, it's a kind of canonic narrative, which uh, sounds like that. It is uh, utopian thinking is practically a kind of linear development from wishful thinking by the primitive people towards scientific <coughs> planning in the development in the developed modern societies. To put it very shortly, this is the skeleton of the narrative. So, uh, and uh, we can start with proto-utopias. These are um, spatial utopias, narratives and images of spatial em embodiment of desire. Schlaraffenland is famous uh, um, German and Austrian image of the happy land, where uh, there is a flux of milk and honey. The various uh, uh, variants of the idyllic genre by Teuquid, by Ovid, Lucan, and a lot of others. Uh, these are Arcadias, uh, Lotti, um, uh, Ameni, and uh, after that, all this uh, ancient tradition has been transformed during the Renaissance, uh, in, in the time of the great geographic discoveries. And uh, these ancient images have been projected on the, on the, onto the new world. Uh, received as earthly paradise. Uh, actually, the tradition of uh, looking for the place of the earthly paradise is very old. In the 16th century, a uh, Spaniard called Antonio de la Juan Pinella wrote a book about the place of the earthly paradise, and in this book he uh, listed 18 types of solution of this problem. Not, not 18 examples, 18 types. So you can imagine what kind of tradition it is. And all this was transformed, uh, projected onto the new virgin world, America. So you can see some images here. This is uh, um, the cover of a book of the, in the 17th century about Schlaraffenland. This, uh, let's say, some sympathetic, nice, uh, consumerist utopia where everything is available and this is from the uh, 18th century and this is recent Deutschland einig Schlaraffenland you can see that uh, uh, the fishes are jumping right into the mouth of the sleeping guy or the other is drinking beer in this um, unmediated way uh, so the, I took three different pictures from, from three different epochs and they are uh, repeating one and the same pattern. That's important. I'll come back to this. Arcadias are different. Uh, in Arcadian tradition, there is no eating and drinking. It's much more about the harmony between culture and nature and the strange type of erotic communication uh, connected with music, with uh, love which is in the air, and natural beauty, which is all around. And you see here again that uh, the Arcadian images are transhistorical. They are repeating themselves in different epochs. And they slowly were transformed into the art of landscape, which uh, became famous in the 18th century. And also in recent photographies. I like this very much. This is my locus. Uh, <laughs> this is also not bad. <laughs> 
So, you can see here, uh, let's say, uh, images of unlimited infantile desire, close to that what uh, psychoanalysis is, uh, would prefer to call jouissance. They are strongly locked, uh, linked to that. And here, uh, certain, as I called uh, before, projections on these images onto the new world, the earthly paradise here. These are from the 17th and 18th century. And this is uh, relatively recent, a kind of illustration, but following the old pattern. The Indians are as, uh, let's say, uh, Adam and Eve, very innocent, expecting what is, is going to happen. So, uh, now you can see uh, uh, this strange term, which happened in the 18th century, where Utopia has been transformed from spatial forms into temporal forms and from genre of unlimited desire towards genre of theoretical tractates, tractats and, let's say, engineering projects. It started with this guy, who was, so to say, on the edge of the two tradition. And this is uh, the cover of Utopia, the second edition. But very quickly, in the 16th century and after that, the utopia became geometrical. It became something which is a calculated project of constructivist reason. And this very dark guy wrote this very bright book called The City of Sun. And this is one of the plans of the city of Sun. And this calculation, this geometrical uh, symmetry uh, of the um, city, which should be a harmonical social organism, gradually became social engineering. This is Fourier Valenster. It's a kind of building where a very um, uh, multi-layered and differentiated community should live. And everything in this building is um, precisely calculated for the harmonic life of this community. All the possible details are predicted. Uh, everything is, uh, let's say, uh, anticipated in this building. So uh, it is a social engineering project which anticipated a future which is, can be calculated, which can be taken fully into account. It is in the power of reason. And of course, uh, the end of the story is this book, The Entwicklung des Sozialismus von der Utopie zur Wissenschaft, where, which is the kind of scientific erasure of utopia, where the unlimited images of desire are not needed anymore, because science and reason as the major forces of modernity uh, had taken the power and they practically uh, destroyed the places for any infantile desires. In fact, Vladimir Ulyanov called Lenin even uh, openly declared that uh, the proletariat doesn't need infantile pictures and every usage of the, such 
utopian pictures is a kind of manipulation of proletariat. And this was the real and, uh, uh, let's say, uh, last delegitimation of um, infantile naivete. Utopia is replaced by the question of revolution, state power, and dictatorship of proletariat. And instead of utopian visions, instead of, instead of visions of, uh, let's say, infantile desire or social engineering, Lenin uh, brought this type of vision. This is a futurist picture from the 20s, where the uh, allegoric figure of proletariat is leading the revolution. That means instead of visions of desire, visions of power. And this is the, let's say, the canonical narrative. The development of utopia from uh, naive steps of infantile desire and wishful thinking towards scientific calculation and the problem of power. Uh, but what is important, in one way or another, the dreamed ancient pictures of unlimited happiness do not disappear during the ages in variety of layers of the popular culture. These old phantasma are today expropriated by advertising, ad advertising industry. And you can see them everywhere, so it's very clear. So uh, I try to uh, challenge this canonical narrative and tell you another story about the alternative utopias. And the best example for these alternative utopias is the European avant-garde in the, um, on the, in, during the turn of the century and in the 20s. The late 20s is the, let's say, the final cut of this. These are trade utopias uh, which uh, went beyond the principle of reality in Freudian sense. In his famous book, Das Prinzip Hoffnung, Ernst Bloch made a clear differentiation of uh, utopian thinking, which uh, obeys das real mögliche, that means uh, what is really possible, and das real unmögliche, what is totally un impossible and unthinkable, and which has nothing to do with every philosophical uh, vision of the future. So, even Ernst Bloch denied the crazy utopia, so to say. Uh, but uh, you see that during, uh, 90, uh, uh, during the turn of the century and the 30s, the European avant-garde gave birth to enormous number of crazy utopias, which went far beyond the real mögliche. For example, the, uh, I gave here just some uh, examples. Uh, expressionism and the limitless self capable of molding every form and every material. The futuristic glorification of machines, aggression and speed, even beyond the principle of death. The deistic universal humor and glorification of destruction and college. Suprematism and the uh, dream for the absolute language. A language beyond any consciousness. This is the um, further development of this idea in the uh, in the trend called surrealism in France. And uh, all this uh, old engineering project about ideal cities have been slightly transformed into cities which are cities of light, garden cities, and so on. 
But this is even not everything, because in Soviet Russia, uh, things really uh, went further, and everything seemed possible. There was uh, the, uh, the borderline between this real mögliche and this real unmögliche disappeared. So there's special Russian tradition for really crazy utopias, and I listed some of the Russian ideas here. Achieving immortality, resurrection of the dead, victory against gravitation, mankind wandering in the space, cosmism, liberation of animals and plants, melioration of deserts, changing the directions of rivers, and so on. Actually, some of these crazy utopias have been put into motion, and they even uh, have been transformed into engineering projects during Soviet times, without success, of course. For example, the uh, changing the direction of rivers and the uh, melioration of deserts. But nevertheless, here, for, uh, uh, for me as a cultural historian, it's important the very fact of existence of this uh, alternative utopia. This guy uh, was, uh, let's say, um, a kind of father of all the uh, uh, following alternative utopian thinking, Nikolai Fyodorov, and uh, his book, The Philosophy of Common Deed, which has been published uh, years after, after he wrote it, in uh, 1906, uh, is a very influential book, and it's about the duty of the sons, and the duty of the sons is the resurrection of the dead fathers. Not uh, less and not more. So not a, a happy new world, not a bright future, but something which is going retroactive in the past and it is transforming the past in the most radical possible way. And um, besides, Nikolai Fyodorov insisted that this resurrection of the dead fathers is deeply rooted in the Christian tradition. So it's a religious act. Mm -hmm. And this is another example. This is a, a suprematist dream about the universal cosmic language. And you see that here are the elementary forms of this language, which are beyond any possible vanity of earthly representation. I can speak a lot here, but we don't have time. Another alternative genius, the uh, Soviet writer Andrei Platonov, who published a very small number of short stories during his lifetime, and his major works have been published after his death in the 80s, that means several decades after his death. Uh, and he wrote a kind of replica to the City of Sun, enormous novel called Chevingur, which is a kind of encyclopedia of all the possible alternative utopias. Another guy from the group called the Oberiuts, Nikolai Zabolotsky, he especially dedicated himself to uh, agrarian radical utopias, and it was his idea to liberate the animals. And uh, it, from time to time, even to liberate plants, not only animals. And this is not vegetarianism, this is something very different. Hmm. Actually, uh, figures like Le Corbusier are, um, in a way, uh, in the middle. From uh, one point of view, uh, they, are, uh, they have a very clear uh, geometrical, social engineering, calculating architectural imagination. And you know that he is the father of uh, modern architecture, and this is one of his famous uh, uh, papers, The City of Tomorrow and its Planning, and uh, the illustration to this paper. At the same time, the same Corbusier 
wrote also such nice pictures where the um, calculation and the geometrization of urban space disappears into visions of lights and, uh, let's say, um, air which is penetrating the building themselves. You see here that uh, something different is uh, in the atmosphere of this painting. It is not geometry, it's not uh, rational calculation. It's something very close to the infantile visions of uh, desire. And you see some of the followers of Le Corbusier with uh, a crazy project about the future city. But who knows whether this is crazy, because in Dubai they made already such things. So, uh, it is very difficult to interpret what this alternative utopia means in the context of, let's say, development of this uh, utopian thinking. And I uh, give you here uh, three different interpretations. Uh, the first one uh, was, has been born in the um, mid of the 20s of the 19th, uh, 20th century by the André Breton, and uh, he uh, tried a kind of reversal between uh, the principle of reality and the principle of pleasure. And he said that uh, imagination won the final victory over the bourgeois reality. And the worlds of imaginations are much more interesting and deep and strange and rich than the so-called reality. So we should support politically the imagination. This was the point of the surrealist. Very different is the interpretation of Marcuse, uh, who spoke in the 60s about the so-called non-repressive civilization. And uh, this is, of course, very uh, sophisticated philosophical argument, uh, and it should be understood in the philosophical context of the Frankfurt School, but I put it here very shortly in, in a simplistic way. Uh, the non-repressive civilization is a civilization which liberates the natural drives against the repressive principle of capitalist production. Uh, and practically, uh, the philosophy of Marcuse has been used during the student revolts of 1968, uh, and um, some, let's say, youth groups try to transform it into reality, and the famous slogan, Make Love Not War, stems from that. Very different uh, interpretation uh, was the book of uh, Boris Groys, a Soviet uh, uh, art historian and curator living in Germany, uh, where he uh, interprets the avant-garde alternative utopianism in a very negative way, because he uh, claims that uh, this demiurgic, voluntaristic ambition of the left artists is a kind of preceder, predecessor, uh, of uh, uh, the social demiurgic voluntarism of Josip Vissarionovich Stalin. And the title of this book is Gesamtkunstwerk uh, von Josip Vissarionovich Stalin. And Groys um, makes a clear genealogy between leftist avant-garde and Stalinist politics, which is, of course, very provocative. So, uh, you will see my interpretation and my answer to the initial question here in the last three slides. Uh, 
what can be done? Uh, I do believe that the uh, contemporary world needs reopening of the future with all its unpredictability and possibilities. We need space for uh, unimagined young alternatives. Uh, and we should oppose the um, seemingly unalternative neoliberal capitalism. Actually, I'm not leftist. Uh, and when I uh, was uh, during the socialist times in Bulgaria, I perceived myself as, uh, let's say, uh, right liberal, close to the center. Now I perceive myself as left liberal, close to the center, but not in no way leftist in uh, the French sense of the world or in the British academic sense of the world. So don't interpret it like that, please. Uh, so this task is different, but of course not hostile, from all uh, ecological agendas and from uh, for all concrete prognosis, feasible practical project and risk-preventing scenarios. It should not be mixed with these things. It's something different. It's philosophical ambition, not a practical ambition. Mm. Of course, this task runs against presentism and beschleunigung, the acceleration of time, and against the dominance of the phobic, catastrophic imagination. I, I do believe that this uh, uh, apocalyptic imagination is related to uh, this uh, accelerated experience of time. But most importantly, it runs against the functional aestheticization of capitalism, that means all the possible areas of design, advertisement, commercial beauty, contests, plastic surgery and things like that. That means commercialization of the aesthetical principle. So the research of alternative utopias could be very instructive for this purpose. The general goal should be the reopening the future in the modalities of joy and desire. This, re uh, that, uh, this means um, re-expropriation of beauty, pleasure and fantasy from the presentist market consumerism. Attack against commodified phantasma of the advertisement industry. Provoking the public imagination by performative gestures, combining symbolic omnipresence and enjoyment, even joy sounds. And this should be combined, of course, not with reality principle, but with irony, parody, scandal, free play, state solidarity and autonomy. By the way, I do believe that this uh, uh, combination between jouissance with irony could be seen in Occupy Wall Street. This is a very, it is happening already, I believe, in such kind of, uh, let's say, uh, public um, staging. They don't have program, program, they don't have political program because they are doing these things. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, on the level of uh, cultural policy, this um, would mean a totally new cultural policy toward literature and contemporary arts. Struggle against their inclusion in the lifestyle industry, in the creative industries, in the creative classes, and so on and so on. The reopening of the future and uh, the reopening of the imagination will be possible in case the arts function again against the grain of presentism, against optimization and acceleration, in case they have political, disinterested social place and role. That means political place. Only then there will be chance for some successes. That is a philosophical program. It's not a practical problem. How should this happen? 
I'm not able to answer this question, but I do believe that I'm able to formulate some goals. Thank you.